0: Welcome to Substances. Today, we speak with Nerissa Williams, a graduate student from London, who discusses her thoughts on Brexit a year before the vote, how it reshaped the country afterwards, or brought to life the divisions within society. This podcast is broken into two sections. This week, we discuss and cover the situation of England and what it looked like heading into the election in 2016, from the societal makeup to what it was like being surrounded by only like-minded people. Then, after the vote, She talks about how shocking the outcome was and how it created an understanding of how deeply polarized the country really was. Narissa not only talks about the personal impact Brexit had on her, but also the strategies that the Leave campaign used. Narissa also notes the importance of how voting can have a shocking outcome, but with that comes the notion that voting is growing more and more important.
1: With a brief bio, including where you are from, your academic and professional background, as well as any future goals you may have. Hello, everyone, thank you very much for having me. Um, I
2: was originally like, born in London and grew up there before moving to Paris for my bachelor's. I studied French studies of history for three years um, and then came here in October of last year to do my master's in international relations and cultural diplomacy, which is why i met the lovely substances to you. Um, currently I'm looking forward to doing an internship in India over the summer working with a local governance projects in Rajasthan um, and my future ambitions involve um, working with NGOs and hopefully writing a thesis about how different state and non-state actors interact on the global scene. Wow,
1: thank you. Um, so, so far 20, 2017, like the second half of 2016, continues to be largely shaped by votes that are transforming the political landscape. Brexit was the first of these events to really shock the world back in June 2016. To quickly review what Brexit means to our viewers, uh, Brexit involved members of the United Kingdom voting on a referendum to leave the European Union. The results were in favor of Brexit. However, the voter margin was so narrow between either side within England itself, it appeared to leave the country divided. As a citizen of England, can you tell us what your initial thoughts on Brexit were leading up to the vote? I think before the vote, I wasn't
2: surprised that there was going to be a referendum, because that was um, part of David Cameron's argument getting into power, that he was going to hold a referendum on whether the United Kingdom would stay or leave. But I was surprised at how aggressive the campaign was, especially on the side of leave and the fact that they were able to get away with kind of using messages that claimed that leaving the European Union would give so much more money um, to the NHS, for example, our National Health Service. Um, That was something that really shocked me. And it almost made it easy to see why some people would be seduced into voting for Brexit. Okay. Did the NHS stand behind that also,
3: or was that something like that just politicians were campaigning on that behalf? Well, the thing is that the NHS at the
2: time were fighting for um, better rights and better pay, but because they weren't, they're not directly involved in how the service is funded, it's the government who decides about funding. So the NHS themselves obviously would have been very happy to accept an increase in funding to the service, but didn't have direct control over whether or not that would happen, depending on the Brexit
4: vote. But no spokesperson came out from the NHS and was like, this is not
5: true?
2: Not that I'm aware of, because I suppose they're not directly in control of the budget. It's the mm-hmm.
1: government in Westminster that controls the budget and how it's spent. Wow, yeah. okay. This is new to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanna go. Sorry. what other
3: type of campaign structures did they use to sway the vote? And were they shocking or did you think like they were going to work? I think they were quite shocking, but they, the two
2: different sides of the campaign used very different tactics. I think one of the mistakes that the Remain campaign made was in the fact that they really focused on the economic argument on a large scale and the kind of long-term impact that even the EU might have on the Great Britain, but that didn't necessarily connect with people in the same way that the Leave campaign did, um, Nigel Farage in particular was very outspoken about the benefits that it would have for the kind of everyday working man leaving the European Union. They really appealed to um, kind of the working classes and to the idea that we would have more sovereignty and more freedom to decide our own laws outside of the European Union, um, which is something that the uh, the Remain side focused on a lot less.
5: Okay, so because you were living in Paris during the time of the Brexit Brexit vote, can you comment on the climate of Great Britain? Of course, woman, a uh, person who is from there but is on the outside, and do you think your experience and perceptions were any different from those who were in Great Britain at the time?
2: Well, I think because I was in Paris at the time, I had a very kind of Eurocentric vision of Brexit. Um, and went to a lecture series about challenging Europe um, in the run-up to the vote. And they actually really, really struggled to find anyone in favor of Brexit to talk at the, um, at the, you know, kind of argue in favor of it because in that environment, there were very, very few people who wanted to stay and you know, who wanted to leave the European Union. They eventually found um, an MEP um, who was on the side of UKIP, um, who had to almost be kind of coerced into taking part in the debate. So I think in that environment, most people were very much in favor of remaining in the EU. But going back to London, I think I probably had an atypical view of um, opinions on Brexit compared to the rest of the country, because the constituency where I was born um, voted like the second highest in favour of remain, only after Gibraltar, um, which meant that I think I was constantly surrounded by people, um, you know, handing out stickers saying oh, I'm in it's the European Union, and there was very little like active campaigning from the other side in that area.
3: Because of that, did you think it wasn't really possible that Brexit would occur? I thought
2: it was possible for the leave campaign to do very well but I wasn't I don't think I was quite prepared for how they will how well they would do and the fact that outside of London so much of England would vote leave. What was the kind of attitude to um, Brexit and the lead up to the campaign in other countries? So with you like looking at foreign media what did you say? I mean,
5: in, in Austria, we had our um, elections for the federal president, and um, the right-wing campaign really used the Brexit a lot to say that we have the Brexit, which also was a <laughs> very nice, similar term for Brexit, so we should um, also leave um, for Europe. They really used it a lot.
4: As an American living in Germany, we kind of, at least like in my expat environment, we kind of took it as a joke. You know, to be honest, like we were like, This will never happen, this is absurd. Like I know friends that took like, you know, bets with other friends that were like, This couldn't happen. Like, you know, of course, like the Leave campaign can try, but we thought like not to be insulting, but like people in Britain were like smarter. It's
5: true at the beginning knowing no leave, that this this is true, and then there was a shift
3: mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, the night so of it was the was tall precursor to the Trump campaign and Trump election mm-hmm. because everything was a joke. And I think the Brexit was the first thing, like, oh, this stuff can come it's, it can happen, and yeah, I had a, a girl on the track team with me who was from the UK, and she said like, "Yeah, no, it won't happen. We're all gonna, everyone's going to stay in the EU. It, it's everything that is in the EU outweighs everything about leaving the EU. Such a small percentage actually want to do it." And then after it occurred, it was it was kind of just like
5: it was yeah. shocking. Yeah. Wow! Wow! It no, just
3: comes as a very very big shock.
5: Yeah. So, so you would say it had polarised your environment?
2: Well, it depends on how you define my environment, because I think my immediate surroundings and the area where I'm from wasn't really polarised at all, it was very much in favour of remaining. But the environment of Great Britain in general, yes, very much so.
5: Can you remember when you were in France, how the media um, covered the topic? Was it rejected? Was it more in favour of Brexit, or was it very against it? How did your professors um, at uni talk about the um, topic?
2: Well, in general, nearly everyone that I spoke to was very much in favour of remaining. I could see, you know, like France is one of the founding countries of the EU and have a very pro-EU standpoint, which admittedly has the question with the kind of. Marine Le Pen um, elections recently, which luckily um, she did not remain victorious. But I think in in the press especially, Brexit was seen as a threat to the integrity of the European Union. So people were really encouraged to vote for Maine. And my professors in particular really made a point of telling us to vote, telling anyone from Britain to make sure that they were registered. Um, because it it honestly was a, was a big threat to even the existence of where i went to uni and the fact that so many people could study there
1: okay so what was your reaction the moment you heard the news what what was going through your mind when you read the headlines or you saw the results of the referendum well i was incredibly shocked i was also very disappointed in my country
2: because I felt like I came from a place of tolerance to other people and where like respect was valued because a lot of the rhetoric around the referendum campaign became about immigration and I thought that in lots of ways we were a more tolerant country than the referendum kind of shows that we were. It was also really sad in the weeks after the election to see the kind of xenophobic um, attacks becoming more and more prevalent across the country, and I think it said something very sad about the state of Britain, which honestly
1: made me feel a bit ashamed to come from there for a while. So, looking back on the vote, what do you think had a greater impact: the refugee crisis and the and its EU distribution system, or concern for the economic state of?
2: I think it's really a combination of those factors and that we have to see the refugee crisis as part of a larger discussion about immigration and fear over people kind of taking British jobs, um, which is a fear which is largely astounded because it's been proven that the NHS, for example, could not run without the migrant workers that it currently has. Um, I think another problem is lack of education in the UK around politics. For example like here in Germany most of the time in high school you have to learn about politics and that's something that we do not have in the UK and even our education about history is very much oriented towards kind of British victories in the first and second world war and in our nation as a kind of conquering empire rather than a country that now relies on international organizations and really benefits from them. Um, So that's something I think was a bit of a shame. But also I think it's a lot about people's personal grievances and difficulties. And a bit like when we go back to the Trump election, people just felt so dissatisfied with the situation that they were in that it made sense to them to vote to shake up the system, even if that involved a lot of uncertainty, even if that could lead to political instability. If that's better than the, than the present system, which is failing them, then, then that's something that they'll do. And I think we also really ignore the benefits that the UK has in being part of the European Union. Like when I was living in France, I got a housing benefit just because I was a student. I got given 116 euros a month for three years by the French government just for the merit of being an EU citizen living there, mm-hmm. and nobody
3: talked about those things in the in the in the referendum.
2: Not at all. I think it was a rip shame.
3: Now, do you think it comes down to the individuals who play a role to spread this education? If it's not coming from a top-down level of the government in schools, like you said, does it come to like? you as an individual talking about each of these things, or do you think that will make a real difference? I think it's a combination of being about
2: the individual and about government as a whole, and that social media has been kind of harnessed to really spread populist messages, but we can also use it as a tool for education. It needs to be much more accessible. We need to talk about the EU in terms that people understand and which make it very, very clear what the EU does rather than kind of focusing on minute economic details, which seem to, to be people.
3: As a follow up, would the vote in favour of Brexit offer any personal lessons for you? As an international relations student, what can you do now and what did you learn from it?
2: I think the biggest lesson um, is probably not to underestimate the power of populism. You raised a lot of those issues in one of your previous podcasts about um, populism, particularly in Europe, and I think we really need not to underestimate that. We need to make education about politics a bigger priority in the UK, but also globally. Um, Other than that, I think engaging different parts of the population in the political discussion so that no one feels disenfranchised is really important. What about everyone else? Did you think it gave a big lesson from like an outsider's perspective?
4: I think it made at least me personally see what a bubble I lived in like on the east coast in particular like there's the area you know between DC and Boston that you just you don't realize kind of how liberal everyone is until you start looking at these videos and pictures of rallies all over the country and you're like, who are these people? Like, they don't look like my country, like, that I know, I've know, known for my whole life.
1: Um, just hearing you speak today, just, I'm, as an American, there's so many similarities between everything you've already said so far. So, yeah, absolutely. It's... Exactly as Gabby said, I come from New York City, like it's super, super liberal, super democratic in terms of voting and views. So yeah, this was super shocking and it made me realize how disconnected I was from certain parts of my country and how important it is now to really engage in dialogue and to really you know, work towards working together instead of taking an easy way out. Oh, I don't agree with your views. I want to talk to you because that's how we end up in situations such as Brexit, such as Donald Trump. So, yeah, this definitely offered a lesson in terms of trying to work with people who don't agree with you. And it's not an easy task, but it's one that must be tended to.
3: I mean, I think at the end of the day, people both want the same thing. We talked about this previously in our podcast too, is like, People just want the best for their family and friends, and how they get there, it's different and it looks different. So we need to have, continue to have the conversation and work together and find like, okay, maybe I don't agree with you in this this way, but I can agree with you in a different way, and we just have a different objective of getting there. So let's continue
5: to have the conversation. So I think coming from that point, how do we go about bridging the gap between the two sides, for now at least?
2: Well, I suppose it starts with dialogue. It has to start with dialogue. Um, But the other thing to do is, I think, highlight the common interests that a lot of people have. Because a lot of the time we use this kind of rhetoric that divides people who live in urban environments to people who live in the countryside. We like to make sweeping generalizations about the way people vote, the way people think, and the way they behave. But instead, if we focus on kind of common factors that bring people together, and talking about how economic circumstances can impact people on a grand scale, we might be able to slowly get to a point where people aren't pitching themselves against each other and against each other's political views, but rather thinking more in terms of what will have benefit for society as a whole.
4: I think something that um, also is, a commonality between the U.S. and the U.K. is the fact that we have a very, like, two-party system, kind of based, like, Republicans, Democrats, Laborers, and Conservatives, Mm -hmm. versus Europe, which has such um, an interest... range. Yeah, where they they have to form a coalition in order to make government at all. And we don't have that. We don't have to have dialogue, you know, in our Mm -hmm. respective countries. So
3: it creates further polarization based on the fact that there's only two parties, when in reality they can't find, like, the million shades of gray and find, like, a couple commonalities. Mm -hmm. They have to choose R, choose D, yeah. mark them solely because that's where they belong and if we can find something in the middle. yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. But
5: do you think that the very complex system of the European Union also led to the Brexit vote because people didn't know what to think of the EU and what it actually does? It's It has all the websites, it provides all the information but people don't know how to um, digest all that information. Do you think this, like an average, I don't know, working class men or someone who is not in politics or in international relations may not grasp the content. Yeah. That's why they criticize it because they don't actually know what they're doing. Definitely. I think we're very stuck in our electoral
2: system and the way that works and most people have an understanding of it. But like you say it is very different from even, you know, other electoral systems elsewhere in Europe. But the EU just seems like such a complicated beehive of different things
5: going on, with different um, kind of arms performing
2: different functions, that it's very hard to understand how they actually have any impact.
3: Yeah, I think there's a lack of trust in the system because there's so many elements. If you go to their website, they're transparent because there's so much information. But I think you make a huge a great point that it's too much almost. It's not broken down in yeah. very synthetic concise something. Yes. And when
1: that happens when you hear of someone running for office such as Donald Trump make America great again, you can understand what that is. You don't even know what he means, but you know what every word in that phrase means. So yeah. it makes that much more attractive. Oh I know, we're gonna win. They're losers. Like everyone can understand that. So even though he's not as transparent, he doesn't possibly even know what he means Um, when he's saying that, and he doesn't have to define it, people are like, oh, I get that, it's not scary, it doesn't seem like he's lying, he's using our words, and we can get behind it. Yeah,
2: Yeah. that clarity of message is so important, and I read something that said that Hillary Clinton's campaign could have been transformed if rather than saying, I'm with her, Mm -hmm. they chose she's with us, Mm -hmm. and by like flipping the lens and Mm -hmm. making it about somebody taking the needs of the people yeah. into account, rather than relying on their support the other way around, it's it's much more powerful. And like you say, make America great again, speaks to people in a way that this complicated web of EU bureaucracy, you know, can't do.
1: Yeah.
4: I feel like, in a way, it also um, kind of has to do with how technology is such an overload of media these days. You know, you go on Facebook, you go on the internet, you look at your emails, there is so much online and you can't possibly digest it all.
3: I mean, also just looking at, like, short-term fixes, I think the economy speaks to everybody. So in both of these elections, anyone who's out of a job or anyone who, like, has seen how much urbanization has affected everything... That that speaks to you. You need a short-term fix, you want a short-term fix, and therefore it becomes, your vote becomes the short-term fix. Oh yeah.
1: So, looking ahead, there is the British general election vote on June 8th. Can you please explain to our audience exactly what this vote could mean as Britain prepares for the Brexit talks with the European Union? Well,
2: this vote is already very controversial. Theresa May called the snap election for June 8th after repeatedly claiming that she would fulfill her full term in government. Um, So it's already brought around a lot of instability and confusion, but it could mean one of a few things. What Theresa May wants it to mean um, is increasing her majority in government. When David Cameron was elected in 2015, he had a relatively slim margin, which means that it's very easy for other parties to fight against the Conservatives in the House of Commons. But what Theresa May is hoping is that having secured the Brexit vote, she will get more people behind her and be able to better secure a mandate for pushing forward her kind of Brexit plan. She describes herself as the Brexit candidate. However, there are two other parties involved. While we're normally seen as very much a two-party system with Labour and Conservative, there's actually been an increase in support for the Liberal Democrats. This is surprising because in the last election, they did very poorly, having um, come out quite badly in a coalition with the Conservatives between 2010 and 2015. The Liberal (laughs) Democrats are the only party who claim that if voted into power, they will hold a second referendum on the EU, but that that will take place after the deal has been secured with Brussels. So it will mean that the EU referendum will be made with a clear-cut vision in mind of what Brexit will mean for the EU. The Labour Party um, is taking a slightly different stance again in saying that they want to um, will go ahead with Brexit, because a lot of their voters, especially in the older age brackets, were pro-Brexit, but they'll go for a softer Brexit than the May is proposing, which means um, potentially more freedom of movement, for example, and they still want access to the free market. Um, so, I think it's just brought about an enormous amount of instability, and people are not really sure
1: where to vote and what that will actually mean. I just have a quick question before we analyze more of everything you just told us. Can you explain how frequently a snap election can happen? And, like, you already explained why she called a snap election for her intention to have more support, but how frequently can this happen, a snap election?
2: Well we haven't seen snap elections very much in the last sort of 20 years in British politics and I think it only ever happens under specific circumstances because in theory it's more beneficial for a government and it leads to more stability if they serve the full sort of five-year term Um,
3: but in this instance I think it, it, it can
2: happen when a party leader who is, you know, the Prime Minister, decides that they they want to kind of reassess the situation and they want to, you know, increase the base case, increase their majority. It's not something that happens very much. Um,
1: and I think that's what made it even more surprising for people in the UK and So again, I mean, you're returning to your home for this vote, which is exciting. Um, But you've been abroad for the time leading up again up up until this vote. Yeah. How likely do you think it is that the Liberal um, Democrats win and that a second chance or to undo this referendum and for the UK to not leave the European Union? How likely is that to happen? Do you think?
2: Looking at the latest polls um,
1: for how people think they're going
2: to vote, it's very, very unlikely that Liberal Democrats will actually come into power. I think most recently I looked, they had about 8% um, support, which is obviously not enough to win. What I think might happen, though, is that people who are extremely dissatisfied with Brexit will vote Liberal Democrat, but that that will mean that... Um, the majority of the Conservative party in government is weakened and the Liberal Democrats might push for even more discussion um, whilst
0: in the House of Commons. Thank you for listening to today's show of Substances. The past year has largely been shaped by populist movements, beginning with the Brexit vote last June and moving through to the recent French vote. A year later, England goes to the booths again, but this time under a snap election. This vote has the ability to sway how England heads into the Brussels agreements that will outline what Brexit will look like. Stay tuned, as next week on June 7th, we will post the second round of this interview with Narissa about the vote and the future of England. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to write to us on iTunes through our email at dosageofrepartee at gmail.com or through our website at www.sub-dances.com.